Uh, we've been uh, spending some time in the book of Matthew lately, looking at a uh, little sermon by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. Most people recognize it as a Sermon on the Mount. A lot of deep teaching uh, in the course of this passage, and we're going to continue to look at that. You'll have it on the sheet there that you picked up on the way in. Now, uh, I had the privilege of being married to a wonderful woman, uh, Mel, who she loves uh, any opportunity we have to do something unique and different. And if there's an opportunity where we can get into character, she loves that we can do that. I'm going to just slide this forward here a little bit. Um, because I want you to see these pictures of Mel and I in character uh, that we've done. So we've uh, dressed up as Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Um, we did, uh, one year we did thing one and thing two. This was a lot of fun. We actually had a little, uh, little toddler come up to Mel. She thought Mel really was Mickey Mouse, uh, Minnie Mouse. It was awesome. Uh, but it's, sometimes it's fun to get into character, right? To play a character that's different than we normally are. Uh, in the Greek, the word for hypocrite uh, originally meant an actor who wears a mask. Now, many people know my name is Brian Stark. Uh, and uh, with a name like Stark, I often uh, get confused with Tony Stark. I am Iron Man. And it's fun to put on a mask and to think. As a matter of fact, if you've ever been out to a restaurant or a coffee shop with me and they ask for a name, I say Iron Man. Because it's just fun when they say, order up for Iron Man. And I get to walk forward, you know. It's kind of a good time. Uh, but we put on a mask sometimes, don't we? Because we don't want people to see the real us. What are some of the other masks we wear? You ever look at the Instagram page of somebody and you go, well, you know, that's a, that, my house never looks like this, right? I don't know whose house actually looks like this. I live in it. It can't be that clean. Or, you know, we're getting ready to go to church on Easter, right? And we all look happy. We've been arguing for the last 15 minutes. But we get out of the car and we're glad to be here. We're so spiritual to be here at church. Yay! And we get in this, lured into this trap of putting on a mask. Projecting to people maybe something that we really aren't deep down inside. We don't want people to see the part of us that's deep down inside because they may not like us. That part, yeah, that just might not be as acceptable. And Jesus hits that head on in the passage we're going to be looking at today. So we've just uh, been spending some time where Jesus has been sharing a lot of, you've heard it said, but I tell you. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And the purpose was to help people pursue righteousness and to move people away from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. You've heard it said, the letter of the law, but I tell you the heart of the law. Jesus wants to drill down below the surface, below the mask, to the heart. And he's going to continue that focus on the heart and the intent as we jump into Matthew chapter 6. And he's going to be, we're going to be looking at three specific disciplines that were commonly practiced by those who were righteous or those who wanted to look righteous, even if maybe they weren't. Uh, and he asked the question, are you seeking people's praise or God's glory? Are you seeking people's praise 
or God's glory. So will you stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 6? We're going to look at verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to jump down to verses 16 to 18. The section in the middle is the Lord's Prayer. Scott wouldn't let me preach on that. He wanted it himself next uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, but that's good. It's a great passage that we'll delve into in a couple weeks. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what you is, is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jumping down to verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who sees. You see into our hearts and our minds, into our emotions. You know what we've walked in here carrying because you care. And God, as we pause for a few minutes now to look carefully into your word, I pray that we would be open to what your spirit has for us. We invite your spirit into this place to teach us, to encourage us, to challenge us. And God, I pray that the words that are spoken are not mine that the words that are spoken are not to be seen by men, but that they're to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a lot in there, isn't there? He starts right off in verse one and gives us the motive of the mission. The motive of the mission. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus is primarily concerned with our heart and our motive even more than our outward actions and manifestations. We think that if we do the right thing, God will be pleased with us. When God's more concerned about how we are being, how our heart 
is. The challenge becomes when we start to look for our security and our significance from the people around us and what they think of us and what they say about us instead of understanding that our true security and significance comes from God alone and what he thinks of you. And I can tell you this morning, he loves you. He says that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you are enough. You don't have to be more. He challenges us to grow in our faith, yes, but he accepts you as you are. He's not trying to change you. He's not saying you got to straighten up before you walk in those doors. You have to be something different before I'll love and accept you. He says, I love you full stop. And that should be enough. Charles Spurgeon once said, let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. You've heard it said that we, we worship before an audience of one. I preach to an audience of one. My desire is to bring glory to him. And the challenge for any of us who end up on a platform or on a stage, is I do like the accolades, quite honestly. It feels good. But that can't be my motive. That can't be why I'm up here doing what I do. It can't be why we do the things we do in our spiritual life. I had a pastor friend who often said, praise goes up and honor goes around. My desire is to make sure praise goes up, not to make sure that honor comes to me. But it's too easy to go, yeah, 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 no, that's okay. No, 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 really, really, no, no, it's okay. What's our heart attitude as we live out our relationship with Jesus? Is it to, for the praise of people or the glory of God? Now, some of you might remember back, just last chapter, Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount about a light put up on a hill can't be covered. And he said in in chapter 5, verse 16, he said, "Um, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And wait a minute, Jesus, you're contradicting yourself. You just said, don't demonstrate it in front of other people. And now you're saying, demonstrated in front, I'm confused. But I cut off verse 16 before the end. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What is my motive? Is my motive to do the good deeds to bring on the praise, keep it coming? Or is my motive to do the good deeds, to say, look at what God did. Isn't he amazing? Let's worship and praise him. The motive matters. The motive of the mission. But the Pharisees, their great weakness, their great weakness is they liked the accolades. They wanted the praise and the notice of men more than they wanted the glory of God or the notice of God. When we live for the praise of men, it's gonna fade When we live for the glory of God, it's eternal. So are you living for the praise of people or the glory of God? The heart, the motive of the mission. And then Jesus delves into three disciplines where this can play out. 
Uh, three disciplines that were uh, pretty common among Jewish people, particularly among the Pharisees. Interestingly, these three disciplines are also three of the five pillars of Islam. And these three disciplines are also disciplines that many of us who are Christ followers seek to practice ourselves today. Pretty key, important stuff. But it comes back to the heart and our motive. So the first one is the goal of giving. The goal of giving. He delves into this in verse 2. And he says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Could you imagine? All right, we're taking the offering. Yeah, I don't think that go over too well in here. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Continues on. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you're giving to the needy, and I want you to notice at the start of each one of these disciplines, it doesn't say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. It says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. The assumption is you're doing these things. Jesus naturally assumes this is part of your faith and practice, giving, praying, and fasting. It's an important distinction to remember. When you give to the needy. Now this is, um, I'd say this giving to the needy is actually would be considered over and above your normal giving and tithe. The scripture speaks to giving your first fruits, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Giving from what God has given to you. Everything you have has been entrusted to you. You're a steward. It actually all belongs to God. And if my heart, motivation, and attitude is about his glory, not about my pleasure, not about my praise, if it's about his glory, then that's going to affect how I handle these resources that he's entrusted me with. So when we encourage people to give their offering which you can do at the box in the back or the kiosk or online. When we encourage people to give an offering, it's not for our sake. It's so that you can walk in obedience to the Lord and be a steward of what he's given you for his glory. That's why we like to tell you stories of how your giving is being used, about the middle schoolers who were impacted last weekend. Why? Because you gave. About the men who went away to men's retreat and were encouraged and challenged in their faith. Why? Because you gave. Why do we bring up the Louisiana team to pray over them? Not just so you can see them, not so you can pray over them. Matter of fact, the people that were up here, that was the most uncomfortable thing for them to do. I'm just telling you right now. They get mad at me every time. I say, we got to go up front. Do we have to? Because their heart is it's about God. It's not about them. They don't want to be noticed because they're going But they're a physical representation to you of your giving and the impact that it's making. So we want to encourage you to give of your tithes and your resources, not for our sake, but for God's glory, for him to multiply through the use as we minister and serve in our church, in our community, in our world. 
But here, he's speaking to giving to the needy. Now, I do want you to know that when you give your tithes and your offerings to South Hills, you are helping the needy. We have a program that we told you about a few weeks ago called Bite to Go, where we're providing uh, meal packs, 20 meal packs every weekend for under-resourced kids at Southgate School. Kids who would go home and over the course of the weekend, they wouldn't have necessarily good food to eat. We're making sure those kids have food to eat. Some of your tithes and offerings goes to help UGM, Union Gospel Mission, people down on luck, people going through a tough time, uh, and they're being served and encouraged through Union Gospel Mission. Uh, Some of your giving goes to help uh, Rahima for Kids over in Kenya. Orphan and abandoned children are being blessed and encouraged. Definitely kids who are needy are being blessed and encouraged through your tithes and offerings that you give to this church. But Jesus also has this assumption here that you're going to give beyond that to help people in need. That you're going to see needs and God's going to prompt your heart and your spirit and you might fight it like I've done. Like I'm sitting at the gas station and this person has a need and I'm like, and I even got in my car and started to drive away and God's like, "Uh uh-uh, turn around. I told you to help that person. Yes, Lord. When you give, when I'm giving to somebody at the gas station, it's like, like there weren't any trumpets going off. South Hills Church, there wasn't an elder there. I'm like, all right, the elder's there. I'm going to pay up. They see it. No, it's just I'm prompted to do it. You can do that if you give over and above your tithe to the benevolence ministry here at South Hills, which goes specifically to people in need in our community. There's other ministries in our community. Maybe it's, it's World Relief. Maybe it's Grace Clinic. Maybe it's UGM. Ministries that have been founded to help people who are under-resourced. Maybe you're going to be like one of those families that I've heard about in our church that put together uh, packs of food and toiletries and socks and underwear and in Ziploc bags and they carry them in their cars so when they see somebody on the street in need, they can pull it out and they can give it to them because they want to help, because they want to be a blessing, because they want to give to people in need. And most of those things... Nobody's going to know that you did it. But God might open the door for you to say, they might say, why are you doing this? Because of Jesus. Because he loves you. Because he wants you to know that he cares about you. And that's bringing glory to Jesus. We got a heart check, don't we? Am I giving to the needy so that I'll be noticed, so that I'll get people's praise? Or am I giving to the needy so that God's name is glorified? I trust it so that God's name is glorified. That's why we give, is that his name is lifted up, that his kingdom is established, that his will is done to bring glory to his name. That's why we give. Not because we have to, not because we get noticed for it, because it's a privilege to be able to give to others and to God for his namesake. Now, we have to be careful because, again, it comes back to the heart and the motive. Sometimes we give thinking that we're somehow earning something with God. If, if I give to God, if I give some of my resources, and people are getting really uncomfortable this morning because, you know, I'm talking about money. Yeah? 
like a lot of like stares out there right now. I'm talking about money. But if I give, I don't earn anything with God. I can't give enough for him to save me. My salvation, my eternal destiny has nothing to do with my pocketbook. It has everything to do with Jesus and his grace. We're entering into what is termed Holy Week. Today is called Palm Sunday because it's the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, people waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, calling his name. And the week ended with Jesus hanging on a cross, giving his life as a sacrifice for you. Dying that you might be forgiven, that you might be made whole, that you might have hope and joy. And then Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. The fact not that he just that he gave his life to forgive your sin, but that he conquered sin and death and gives you a hope and a future. That's what this week is about. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift, the gift of God, not to be paid for, not to be bought, not to be earned. It's a gift, not by works, so that no one can boast. So no one can say, well, I gave more than you gave, so I get more of Jesus than you get. Uh-uh. Jesus paid it all. Not you. So don't think that by giving, I earn anything. Or that by praying, or by reading, or by fasting, that I somehow earn credits and glory with God. I don't. Salvation is a free gift. And if you've never experienced that free gift, you've never received that hope, that joy, and that forgiveness, today you can receive it. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. Simply by praying and saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive my sins and to come into my life. I want your grace and forgiveness, and he will. And you'll become the richest person on earth as a result. What is the goal of our giving? Is it to earn people's praise or is it for God's glory? Not just the goal of our giving, but the purpose of the prayer. Jesus, he's talking about these Pharisees and these Sadducees who would go out and they would stand on street corner in synagogue and they'd lift up their hands and they'd lift up their voices. And we even read about a parable about a, a Pharisee, oh God, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. And they lift up a loud voice to be noticed by people. Let's read it again together. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. They got noticed. That's all the reward that there is. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
So is Jesus telling us that we should never pray in public? Otherwise, what I just prayed at the start of the sermon, well, I just messed up. This is not Jesus saying never pray in public. He's coming back again to our heart and our motivation. Are we praying in public so people might notice us and see how spiritual we are? Because we're putting on a mask. Look at how spiritual I am. I'm praying using big words. No, he's wanting us just to pour out our heart to him. The early church prayed in public regularly. They'd gather together and they'd pray. Matter of fact, one of their public prayer meetings is what got uh, Peter out of prison. And then they didn't even believe that Jesus answered their prayer to get Peter out of prison. But if we aren't praying in secret before we're praying in public, there is something wrong with our prayer life. And it's showing that we're more concerned about people's praise than God's glory. Are you praying in secret before praying in public? Are we praying to impress and to teach? Are we praying to pour out our hearts and our requests to God? He goes a little deeper with prayer than he does with giving and fasting. And he continues on with his thought. And he says, uh, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father, who knows what you, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do not go on babbling. What does this word babbling mean? Our prayers really babbling to God? No, our prayers aren't. Our heart, heart aches, our heart cries are not babbling to God. But the word used for babbling in the original languages, it meant to stammer or to repeat things over and over and over and over and over and to use many words. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to come with our requests. Um, I mean, Jesus repeated his prayer, Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me. He prayed that like three times. Paul mentioned about the fact that he prayed multiple times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. It's not wrong to bring your request multiple times to God. Your heartfelt request. We pray all the time for the restoration of our prodigals. Over And over and over, we pray in faith, heart cry, that God would bring them home. I pray a lot for wisdom right now. Many hats that I'm wearing. It's not wrong to repeat a prayer of heartfelt devotion and request to God. A request becomes a vain repetition if it's just a repetition of words. I got in that habit with my kids when they were younger. You're putting them to bed. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Help the kids to sleep well. Help us to have a good day tomorrow. Just the repetition. We can get stuck into that. Even with a prayer like the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks, that Pastor Scott's going to be looking at in a couple of weeks. We just repeat it. 
Because we think that's what we're supposed to do without ever really thinking about what it is we're saying. Without pondering our words and thinking deeply about them. But our personal father, who it says right here, father, shows intimacy, shows relationship. He knows what your heart cry is. He knows what your need is. He knows what your burden that you're carrying this morning is. And he cares. And he wants to hear you pour it out to him. Not because he's inattentive and doesn't know, but because when we pour our heart out to him, when we make our request known to him, when we bring the same request to him again and again, it's moving our dependence upon, from ourselves and from other people around us, and it's putting our dependence upon him. It's us acknowledging that he is God and we are not, that he is the one who has the answers to what we need, not ourselves. That's what prayer is for. Not for me to lift up myself, to make myself look good, to make it look like I have the answers, but it's a humble acknowledgement that I have no answers. And God does. And yes, when we pray, we have an opportunity to move God. Really? I mean, scripture tells us that. You look at the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18. Jesus is telling this parable of this woman who comes to this unjust judge and over and over and over and over and over makes her request. And the judge gets weary of this woman and says, I'm going to do it just so she'll quit bugging me. That's not God's attitude to answer your question just because you're bugging him. But I think it's an excellent example of how we have an opportunity through our heartfelt prayers, not using God as a, some sort of wish list. Hey, God, I'd really like that vacay. First John also, First John chapter 5 is another opportunity where we are challenged and told to make our requests to God, that God hears our prayers, that God is moved by our prayers. When we ask things according to his will, Are you asking according to his will? What's his will? That people would come to know him. So you've been praying for that friend, that neighbor, that coworker. God wants that, answer that prayer. So invite him to Easter next week where they'll have the opportunity to hear the good news and, and maybe next week will be the week that God answers that prayer and you can rejoice together on Easter Sunday. Don't give up making that request. But are you making the request for people's praise or for God's glory? One final discipline that we're going to look at this morning, one that maybe we're not as familiar with, we're not as comfortable with, we're familiar with the discipline of giving, we're familiar with the discipline of praying, but this discipline of fasting, and no, that's not putting my right foot down on the accelerator. Um, that's not the fasting we're talking about here. The heart of the hunger, the heart of the hunger. Uh, Jesus continues on in verse 16. 
And he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So the hypocrites, the Pharisees, uh, they were going to fast. They were going to give up eating for a season. And they would like, you know, get their hair all disheveled and maybe they'd tear their clothes and, and they would look like they were starving. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't make it so that you're getting the praise of people. Instead, he says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you're fasting, again, the assumption is you are going to fast. So what is fasting? Fasting is an opportunity. Biblical fasting has been practiced throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And it's a practice of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It's usually accompanied by prayer, repentance, worship, and Bible reading. So I'm going to give up food so that I can focus on worship. So I can align my heart with God's. So I can be sensitive to what it is that he's wanting me to do. Now, I know that sometimes people talk about I'm fasting from, I'm fasting from my social media or I'm fasting from TV. Um, and those are good things probably in your life. But in terms of true fasting, I'm giving up one thing so that I can focus on Jesus. So even if you're saying I'm fasting from social media, are the times that you would be on social media you're now praying and uh, reading? Okay, then, you know, then that might be more of a spiritual fast. Otherwise, it's just you're trying to get back your life in control where it should be. But there's a good reason to fast. And there's biblical history. There's biblical examples. As a matter of fact, I just want to show you some of the biblical examples of fasting. Uh, Jesus fasted before he gave his, began his public ministry. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and fasted. Now, I wouldn't, if you're going to start fasting, you've never fasted before, I don't encourage you to start with 40 days. All right? Start with a meal. Or a day. But that's what he did to prepare himself for public ministry. He knew what the next three years were going to take out of him. And he was going to spend 40 days abstaining from food to focus on prayer and worship with his father. Others examples of fasting in scripture. Nehemiah fasted to confess sin and to ask God's favor in rebuilding the walls. That's another opportunity to fast. Lord, I know that there are things in my life that aren't right and I want you to reveal them to me. Uh, God, I, we're moving forward in this thing and we want your blessing and so we're going to seek your face for it. Other examples, uh, David fasted to ask God to intervene because of injustice. Uh, and we also have other examples here of Mordecai and the Jews fasted when they heard about Haman's wicked plot. So the book of Esther, Haman's going to wipe out all the Jews. Mordecai challenges all the Jews to come and to fast and to pray, asking God for wisdom. Continue on with some others. The early church fasted while worshiping and committing their ministry to the Lord. They also fasted when they were seeking the Lord for guidance and in appointing leaders. Look at all these examples of people who fasted. And when they're fasting, what are they doing? They're seeking God. They're not looking for people's praise. Don't come in on Sunday morning and say, yeah, I fasted yesterday. It was awesome. Nobody should know you've been fasting. I fasted a couple times. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, this is a discipline I probably need to delve a little bit more back into. 
In our, you know, American society, we don't like to fast a whole lot, do we? Wouldn't do us bad, though, would it? Fasting. It's a discipline, actually, again, that Jesus expects of us. But simply to deprive ourselves of natural benefit is not itself fasting. It's replacing with worship and prayer. That devotion to God. I have to ask again, are you seeking people's praise or God's glory? A hypocrite is not a person who just falls short of their high ideals or sins occasionally. We're all that way. A hypocrite is someone who intentionally puts on a mask to look like something that they're not. If you don't normally give, but you do it because somebody's paying attention, if you don't pray in private, but you're there praying in public, if you're not fasting in private, but you're trying to draw attention to yourself, these are all things that are seeking people's praise rather than God's glory. I think we have other examples of that too in our own lives. Ways that we seek people's praise, not God's glory, where we're putting on a mask. You ever get the Instagram Bible study picture? Yeah? Oh, look at me. I got my coffee and I got the loo and and here's me with my Bible because I'm so spiritual. I'm doing devotions and I'm letting everybody know it. Now, I think there's a place putting up a verse. What's God teaching you? Put that on Instagram. Visualize that baby. Encourage other people with it. Are you doing it to draw people's praise? Are you doing it for God's glory? Serving opportunities. I'm going out and I'm serving because I want people to notice me. I'm going to that mission team. I'm going to serve at that ministry. I'm serving food to the homeless. As you worship on a Sunday morning, got my hands way up high because I want everybody in the back row to see that I got my hands up because I'm spiritual. I'm not telling you don't put your hands up. If you're moved by that and you're doing it to point your glory to Jesus and not yourself, amen. But these are all heart checks, not checklists. These spiritual disciplines, these things we do, we don't do them to check them on a list as if we're getting something from God, but we need to check our heart before we go into it. And the other thing I need you to remember is that all of these things... They're mirrors, not magnifying glasses. I'm to hold up a mirror and see what my heart is, not a magnifying glass to look at yours. I can't judge your motives. We try to all the time, don't we? We make judgment calls about other people and their motive and intent all of the time, and that, my friends, is sin. This is our heart check, our mirror to see what our heart is. And our motivation is not to judge my neighbor or my friend. Are we seeking people's praise or God's glory? As the worship team comes up, we're going to wrap up with a few application points. You know me, I like to visualize them. I want to put them out there so that you can see them. The first one is, have you received God's free gift of salvation, hope, and joy? Free gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay for it. Have you received it? If you haven't, I'd love to pray with you. There's going to be some people down front afterwards, and we would love to meet you. We'd love to pray for you. 
And we'd love to help you receive God's free gift of salvation. If you are a Christ follower, what, which discipline do you need to take steps to begin or to grow in? Maybe as we've been talking about giving and praying and fasting, you realize you haven't been doing one or more of those. Don't try and jump into all of them right away. Which one do you need to take a step forward in? And again, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you need some help with that, we would love to help you. You can even put on a connection card and we'd pray for you. You can come down and talk to us afterwards. And then the third question for us is ask God to reveal your motives as you pursue him and demonstrate your faith in practical ways. God, show me my true heart condition. Show me why I'm doing this because I want my motives to be pure. I don't want to do it for the praise of people. I want to do it for the glory of God. But see, sometimes we get wrapped up in fear, don't we? We get wrapped up in the fear of what other people are going to think about us, what other people are going to say about us, and we forget that we're a child of God, and it's his glory that matters. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you give salvation as a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. There's nothing we can do for it. And Lord, in the stillness and the quietness of this moment, I pray that you would just reveal to each of us our heart and our motivation. I pray that you'd reveal to us how you want us to grow in our faith and dependence upon you. God, may our true motivation for our giving, our prayers, our fasting, our posting, our worship, our service, may it be for your glory and your credit and your name, and your renown, and your kingdom, and not our name, not people's praise, or our kingdom. Glorify yourself through us individually. Glorify yourself through us corporately. May it not be about South Hills Church. May it be about Jesus Christ and his name being made great. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and worship with us?